completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I'm going to read through 19. If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's conduct, or each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the Precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So, therefore, is where we start our text. And so, I need to do some introduction to where we were before. And, um, but first I'll say, uh, before we start, just to prime your pump a little bit, is if you can remember back to your childhood, what did you want to be? What did you want to be when you were a kid? Did, did you want to be a fireman? I, I'm just going to name things that Freddie wants to be. Because he wants to be a police officer, a military man, a uh, construction man. Um, I'm not sure what you had in your mind. But as children, we're, when we're dreaming about the future, we're thinking about the, the what of like what we want to do. Fireman, police officer, whatever. Um, and as you grow up and have kids of your own, you have a slightly different perspective. You, you have a parent's perspective. And, and typically, we're not as worried about what specifically our kid does, so long as it's not blatantly outright sinful uh, as a profession. But as a parent, you're worried about the character and the formation of who this person is. Not the, not the what, but the, the who. Who is this person going to be? And, and from Peter... We're going to be called into who we're supposed to be. And we're going to get God the Father's perspective um, relayed by Peter. And so I, I want you to be, be prepared to hear how God wants us to live our, our life in totality. And not just the specifics of, um, of like an occupation and so forth. But to have God's perspective. And as we begin, you see, therefore, in the text, what he laid out in verse 3 through 12 is really all about salvation. But he begins by talking about a living hope. And Peter has this theme over and over again. He is really wanting us to be focused on hope. And in the therefore, the reason it's coming is because he's going to start to unfold the implications of what God's salvation and us being born again to a living hope actually means. And so as we begin, we see that the first thing that's said is, he says, prepare your minds for action and keep sober in spirit. Not long ago, whenever I spoke on this, um, he, he says to gird the loins of your mind, quite literally, which makes no sense to us. But it's a good word picture. Uh, prepare is a good way to say it. But he's saying in modern vernacular, you're going to need to strap up, gear up, get your mind ready, be clear-headed. And he does so because the command he's going to unfold in the 
latter half of that same verse is simple enough, but also very difficult in practical application and actually living this thing out. So let's see it together. I, I will say buckle up your pew belts because it's mind-boggling. I think this text, honestly, and the reason I wanted to speak on a couple of verses that I already did is because it is category creating. And I, I honestly think that we don't do it nearly enough. Um, if my assessment of my life is anything like yours, we need help to think about this continually. So get your mind ready and listen to the first command. The, there's three commands in the text that I read, but we're just going to go through the first two. So the first one is, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the just that command in and of itself is amazing and wonderful to hope in grace. The future grace that's coming to you, but that is breathtaking to me and re just requires a lot of reflection beyond what I'll say. But to hope is something we talk about a lot, but just to be a little bit redundant in some regard, hope is something that is what you desire that's in the future that's unseen. Paul says, who hopes for what he sees? We, we hope for what we don't see. And then... Um, we also have faith, which is the assurance of this hope that we have to come. But Peter's command is, is to hope in grace. And that grace has a particular object. And that object is the second coming of Christ. And as a challenge to you and me, how often, I think it should be every day here, but how often are you and I thinking about the second coming? It should be something we're, we're hoping in constantly. Sadly, that is not the case with me. And so this is where a category needs to be created in our minds. This is where our mind should run. It should be so a part of our worldview that it's, it's always there lingering. Um, when we're talking to people, it's easy often to think about Genesis 1-1 and God create, in, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a part of my worldview. And this is too, but it's a, a, a more conscious struggle or thing that I have to work at. And I think Peter knows that's the case. And that's for he says it. And, and beloved, I got to say, if you can obey this command, particularly, your faith will grow down and out expansive as far as you can think of, like a, a deep and abiding root system. On a tree. This will help you grow in faith if you practice this daily. And so I want to encourage you to do so. You'll be a tree who will not be able to be uprooted. And he says, completely. You see it there in the text in verse 13. He says, Hope fully. Hope completely. That means morning and evening. That means when you're sitting down in your house or when you're going about along the way. That means that we're supposed to have it as part of our regular meditation in the scriptures and what, what we should be thinking about. We should memorize it. We should make sure that this is where our thoughts are traveling. 
And he says that the second coming, and as our, this is the object of our hope. And when you think of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the, the second coming is two different things to two different peoples. First, there's only two types of people in the world, right? There's the wise and the foolish. There's the righteous and the wicked. There's the sinners and the saints. There's believers and unbelievers. There's sheep and there's goats. There's only two types of people in the world. And there's also only two types of path in the world. There's the narrow path, which is difficult. And there's the wide path. And both of these roads have one destination at the end of it. One is glorification. And one is condemnation. One is fiery vengeance from the Lord. And the other is great reward. One is the, the casting away from God's presence. And the other is the internal, eternal embrace of the Trinity. One is weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the other is wiping away all of your tears and making all things right again. There's only two paths, believers. There's only two outcomes in life. And Peter says, remember that on that day, it's grace to you. Meaning, it's not something you've earned. It's something that we haven't earned. In fact, we've earned the justice of God. We've earned what every what everybody who is not a believer has earned what what should we should be waiting for if it was just us standing before God is condemnation it's the fiery vengeance we would earn God's righteousness in a in a daunting and s- terrible fashion but no beloved you are supposed to hope in the grace that's coming to you in the hands of Jesus Christ. You have not earned it. Christ has earned it for you. And, and this should give you rock-solid confidence in life. But this is, all, this is where we're supposed to, supposed to live in that particular reality. And so, beloved, be, be encouraged to hope in, in grace knowing that you're going to receive what Christ has won for you. So in verse 13, we see the first command. <clears throat> Read with me in 14 and 15 and 16, and our, our second command will be in 15. It says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So, instead of starting in verse 14, let's just look at the command. The command is in the second half of 15. It says, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, in all your conduct. And that's a simple enough command, right? To be holy. Uh, maybe. Maybe it's simple enough. Um, just because I feel like I need to give a little bit of an apology, uh, that holiness as a topic is very difficult. So I'm going to read a book that everybody should read, The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. And this is chapter 3. This is how it starts, just to give you uh, an apology for why I'm going to be so brief. 
It says, here we are already in the third chapter of this book, and I still have not defined what it means to be holy. I wish I could postpone the task even further. The difficulties involved in defining holiness are vast. There is so much to holiness, and it is so foreign to us that it seems a task almost impossible. In a very real sense, the word holy is a foreign word. But even when we run up against foreign words, we, we hope that a foreign language dictionary can rescue us from, um, by providing a clear translation. The problem we face, however, is that the word holy is foreign to all languages. No dictionary is adequate to the task. So please be gracious to me. <clears throat> but I believe the best way to think about holiness as an issue, because this is what's commanded, is to, is to not be reductionistic. And what we tend to do very easily is we tend to think of holiness as simply moral purity, uprightness. And yeah, the Bible does use it that way, but that's not what it is at its root. So the question is, what, it, what is holiness at its root? If I were to put you on the spot, what would you say? Holiness can be difficult, but in its root meaning, it means to, to be separate or to be set apart. It's denoting a, a separation from something. Um, the language can be also said as be to cut. And we use this in a way that we say it's a cut above. So you're talking about pizza places, and you might think of a certain pizza place being a cut above the rest. It's, it's distinguished, it's different, it's unique, it's, it's maybe in a category all by itself, but it is separate, it's distinct, and that's what holiness at its root is, to be set apart. And so it's, it's foreign, it's different, it's peculiar. That's what holiness is. And holiness also, um, we need to not be reductionistic in the fact that we tend to think of holiness as a list uh, as one attribute on the list of attributes from, coming from God. So if we're speaking about God, we might say God is loving, He is just, He is merciful, He is holy, and He's on and on and on. But that's not how holiness works, and that's not how God's attributes works. If we see God acting in love, it's a holy love. If we see God acting in justice, it's a holy justice. If we see Him acting in humility... It's a holy humility. And we do get an insight about what that looks like um, many times in Scripture. So we can look at humility, and we're, we're commanded to be humble and act in, in a way where we prefer others to ourselves in Philippians. But there's a unique sense of holiness, which God is when He is humble uh, in the person of Jesus Christ, humbling Himself to death on a cross. So now when we look back at our text and we see it's applied to, to conduct, how are we supposed to understand that? So it, we got a general frame of what holiness is, but Peter, if we're, we're going to go back now, and he's going to give you an understanding of what holiness is. If it's a separation, there's obviously a distinction between two different, two different groups. What's the first thing that we see? We see as obedient children. And I'll, I'll get to that second. But he says, Do not be conformed to former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you. And I want to focus on that phrase there, the, the Holy One who called you. 
So when Peter is talking here, although I know it's not an extensive discussion, this call is the effectual, is known as the effectual call of, of, the, of God. This is something that, that God has done. God is, does. It's part of his sovereign and eternal decree. So in eternity past, God has ordained that you, each one of you in this room, were called to him at a particular place and time. And um, I'm very thankful to have kids because we're doing catechism. And now it's ingrained in my mind. What's the, the question is, what is effectual calling? And that's, that's what's happening right here. And you'll see it more as we, as we look forward. But um, effectual calling is what God's Spirit does. God's work in His Spirit to convince us of our sin and misery and to enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ. And not only that, but he also renews our wills. And he enables us to freely receive the preached gospel. So, so th this is an amazing thing because God is, Peter is grounding our holiness in what God has done to you and for you. You of your own accord would not be able to obey this command. And so you're straining by the flesh beforehand as an un unregenerate person to be good is never good. It's not worthy. It's not holy. None of your intentions are pure. And, and you need this, as Pat's been preaching uh, very strongly, you need this life transformation to happen. And you sitting here um, is a good indication that you've had that happen. And God has, has called you, and he's used a means to do it. He's used the means of the gospel. He's used the preach word. Maybe, I don't know how each one of you are saved, but maybe it's like me, where I was reflecting on the truths of the gospel that I'd, I'd heard, and God was bringing me to account at that point. And so God does it at a point in time, and he, he, he tr um, the other word that's used, is here a, a little bit further down. Peter says that you've been transferred the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son. You've been transferred as a, and you're a new citizen in a, in a holy kingdom now. Um, we've also got the language here in our text of children, obedient children. Well, effectual calling is also attached to a doctrine called adoption. Adoption is where God brings you into his family. This is the same reality that's, that's, that's connected. And so he can freely talk about God's calling also with our adoption. And this beloved being somebody who's been adopted in the flesh is a, is a seriously awesome thing to think about. Adoption um, is an amazing reality. We were children of the devil and now we've been adopted into God's kingdom. We, as Pat's been talking about, we've had that heart of stone made into a heart of flesh. There's been, a, a, we've been begot again to a new father. No longer do we have the same parents in, in, this, in this spiritual regard. And so this reality is, is an indicator of the, the vast separation that you have had 
in life. So to be set apart, firstly, is the and God initiated that. Um, and he has brought you as a son into his family. And so now we are free and able to be obedient children. We actually, this, this is so amazing. We can obey this command. Because if you're not hearing this and understanding your place as God's son this way, then holiness and a call to holiness can feel like the law when it's not. It's not the burden of the law. No, you have the spirit, beloved, and you can obey your father, and Peter expects you to. And so the weightiness of this call, yes, is there, but it's also one that we can freely enjoy. We can please our heavenly father, and and that's an amazing thing here. So he says, become holy in all of your conduct. And so you see how all-encompassing it is. But I... I'm helped in thinking about this also because he gives us some other words and other descriptors that that point to the separation that's happened for us. So there's there's three of them that I want to focus on. So if you look in um, our verse 14, it says, Do not be conformed to former lusts. Which were yours in your ignorance. So former will be the first one. Lust will be the second one. Ignorance is the third one. So first, former. So the, the holiness we are called to is distinguished from our past. Your actions today and tomorrow should be peculiar and strange to your past life. They are, not, they are not the deeds of your past. In fact, because of this, we, we do understand this uh, radical separation. We know that this separation was caused through the work of Christ, meaning death and resurrection. So if you think about your past deeds, those deeds are dead and they're in the ground six feet under. They are dead deeds. They're old and they're former. That's what your deeds are described as if we're going to take language from verse 3. They're not only dead and, and, and gone, but your deeds today, your conduct today is supposed to be characterized by a new resurrected life. Because they're in Christ. We, we live now out of the union that's been made uh, with Christ. And so your, your deeds are distinguished because they are after his image. So I want to just encourage you, leave those deeds in the past. The things that you know that are sinful in your life, that characterize your old life, leave them behind. They're old and they're not yours anymore. Do not drag those, that kind of conduct, that thinking, whatever you know to be sinful in your life, don't drag that into the present. By the Spirit, kill those deeds and and become holy. Um, holiness here. Before I before I get into the the next one, I just have to say is is all encompassing, right? Holiness. I I, I fear is such a, a common word that we think of that in. in and some of our other tendencies to be reductionistic, we also forget like the terminology that, that we're supposed to use for it. So we talk about justification by faith. And, and many of us can t- 
uh, recite justification by faith, and but um, we forget that sanctification means to be made holy. We are sanctified. We've been made holy. But sanctification, that's where this lies. Become holy. Be holy is a command to be what we've already been made by, by Christ and to continue on in who we've been separated and consecrated unto God to be. So just remember that this, this call is all-encompassing. It's not mainly about, if you're thinking with me back to the beginning, it's not mainly about the, the well, I'm going to be an IT guy like Joel, or, or I'm going to be a, a helicopter pilot, or I'm going to be um, in manufacturing, or I'm going to be whatever, you name it. It's not merely about the jobs. It's the overarching perspective that in every single thing you do, whether it be this or that or whatever it be, the, the, the higher perspective that, that Peter is bringing to us is one that does get into every single thing because it's, it's essential to who you are. You've been made holy and now you're called to live that out and so in, in everything you do, this is, this is a task that is straining to the mind. This is straining to the, to the spirit, and by the spirit we can do what is being commanded here. And that, that is an amazing thing because so often it is burden to so many people, and we need to throw off the temptation to say, in every situation, I can never do what I want to do. I am always going to be doing all the bad sin that I've ever done. I'm never, ever going to make progress in my life. I'm, I'm always going to, you fill in the blank. We are not relegated to former sins. Yes, the Bible does very clearly teach that we still have the flesh to contend with. Daily, it's so. I'm not a. I'm not ignorant of that fact, and that is that is reality, and that's really the second word we'll get into here. But, but we are able to overcome sinfulness day by day by day, faltering, repenting, growing, and as we say every week, really to love Jesus more today than I did yesterday. To be able to apply our mind to this hope that we have coming and be thinking as, as a child who's been given the perspective of where we're going and, and the holiness which we're, we're called to. To be able to look that way and go, okay, Lord, I can fight temptation and I can kill sin today and I can embrace what is true and good and holy. This I pray we'll do. Um, the second word that we look at is he says, do not be conformed to your former lusts. That word is literally desires, which can be used positively, uh, but in the New Testament is overwhelmingly negative. And the reason it's overwhelmingly negative is because we're very, very sinful. <laughs> and we have lots of passions and lusts that are not in accordance with God's will. And so, although it could be... Uh, right, and Paul talks about having an eager longing and, and hope 
um, using that same word, uh, by and large, it's a reality that talks about our flesh. It's a reality that points to the fact that we still have lusts that cling to us, and we need to fight, and we need to kill, and we need to destroy. Not in and of our own might, but by the Spirit. And so, just as a point of application, um, I, I want to say something a little bit about what's going on. And a lot of people in our day, right at this very moment, are very, very anxious. Um, and <clears throat> feel like the end of the world is here. Well, I assure you, it's not here yet. <laughs> and I also will say that when those things happen, if you're given to anxiety that is going to end up in a panic attack and you, you're, you're given to hysteria, you probably are imbalanced. And you probably are not at that moment recognizing the truths of the scripture, namely about that he's in control of all things. And that everything that happens in life is for our good. And so when we have these things in our life, you may be prone to anxiety. Or you may be prone to thinking everything's ending uh, and go to a sinful place. There's, there's good cares. There's good anxieties. The Bible lays that out. But there's also a sinful anxiety. And you have to check yourself. You have to know where you are. And you should be concerned about the world. We're not oblivious, just doing whatever we want and, and not concerned about what's going on to our neighbors and our economy or whatever. We're, we're for sure concerned about that. Um, and we're not oblivious. But we're also called to take our anxieties and, and cast them on the Lord. So becoming holy is to recognize small or big issues, specifically this one being anxiety, and taking that and going, Lord, I'm really concerned about this, and I don't know how to deal with it, and I am casting that care on you. I know you are in control and sovereign. I am struggling to trust that you have the best for me. I am struggling to see that, are you working this out to my good? You should be wrestling with those things that are a temptation to be sinful, um, though they might not be, and bringing those into conformity with, with uh, holiness and into conformity with Christ. We get a really good picture of the struggle between uh, what, what Jesus went through and a greater thing than we will ever go through in the Garden of Gethsemane in that he brings a serious struggle going to the cross before the Lord and submits to submits the son submitting to the father's will um, in accordance. And, and we likewise can take those things that we struggle with and look to what is given as the Example for all of our holiness, right? Let's not leave it to holy is, let's not leave it as an amorphous term. Let's, let's put flesh on it the way God did. He put flesh on it by coming and becoming a man in Jesus Christ. And that is our example. So if you think with me, 
through all the ways that, well, how do I live out holiness? The answer is in, in every way that we see Christ either commanding us to live or um, by being an example for us. So um, just as, as one, as we're thinking through Ephesians, we're commanded to treat our boss, our master, as we, and work for him as unto Christ. Because he's the example of holiness. Um, wives are supposed to submit to their husbands as unto Christ. Our, us as, who, are, who are parents in the room are looking to our children and, and praying that one day they will want to be obedient from the heart knowing that, that obeying us is well-pleasing to God. We, at the end of all of those commands, we see Christ. And he is the, the highest and the greatest example for us. And he's the one who teaches us what we're supposed to do in every single thing. So when you're thinking about holiness, think of Christ and modeling him. That's, that's how we obey this. Um, and... and and that brings us to our, our last word is ignorance. So we were, we've been separated from our former ignorance. And really, the, the way to understand this is that the, the scriptures are what we've been. We, we've been separated from our, our former lives and our own thinking, and we've been given a book. That's an amazing reality. We have been separated from this, this former old self, and we have been given the knowledge of Christ. We've been given him as an example. We've been given commands that, that help us imitate him. And so we must be in the scriptures constantly in order to know how to be holy. Otherwise, it's, it tends to be a guess. I think Christ would do it this way. So if you were back in the 90s where WWJD was a good bracelet to have, and you wore those, now that's, I think, a good sentiment and maybe uh, defendable <laughs> in, in certain ways. But in, in other ways, if that's all you have, you are missing a lot of the knowledge that you've been called to. You've been called from ignorance to knowledge, and we know exactly what that is, the Old and the New Testament. That is what we need to know what God expects of us. And that's what we need to know what Christ is like, because he is the pinnacle of holiness, and he is the one who gives us the form and fashion of what our lives are supposed to look like um, as a carpenter or a mechanic or a funeral director, a ranger, and, and all those things that we do, this is what's supposed to characterize us. So, I hope that you all are encouraged and you don't feel that a command to holiness is burden. I really, really feel strongly that... Um, a lot of people um, feel that commands of God are burdened, but 
God has made a dramatic separation from who you were in your sinful nature. And he's given you a new nature and new desires. And he's brought you into a new life to walk and model and to be filled with his very own spirit. And so when we think about living to today and becoming more holy, I want you to I want you to be able to go back here and to recall some of these words. Ignorance. This is part of my past life. This is I can be holy in all my behavior because of what God has done in Christ for me. And I I can hope today in, in the second coming. And I can do these things that are commanded. And I want that to bring great joy to you. And thinking about. And knowing the fact that that's where you're going to go. You know what you're going to look like before you die. Right? I'm not talking about your health. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But you know who God wants you to be. He's your. He, you're his son. And he's. Making you look more and more like Christ. And how do you not jump for joy to think and to know, I'm going to look more like my Savior. I'm going to look more like my Lord. And we could talk endlessly, and we will praise endlessly about how glorious He is. I don't have to convince you. And that's a... I, I want you to be thinking thinking that every time you think about conquering sin, about leaving old habits which are so near and cling to you so closely, God, help me conquer this. Make me look like your son because in there is lots and lots of joy amidst a struggle which we should have and will have daily. So pray with me and I want to pray for us to that end. Heavenly Father, you are magnificent in sending your son Jesus and giving him to accomplish that which we could never, ever do. We have failed so many times to live up, not only to your standard, but even what is lesser, our very own standard for our life. And we are failing and faltering people. And we so long to be holy like Christ, and you command us to be so, and you empower us to be so. And we want to be able to see his face clearly, because beholding him we will be transformed. Knowing that grace is coming to us, Lord, we will be transformed, and we will conquer all of our sins because... Not perfectly so, but slowly over time, in your timing, you will help us, Lord, to be more like our Savior and purify ourselves even as you are pure. So, God, help us do these things. Be with us in, uh, in this walk that we, we, in this walk of life that we have. Let us take upon your yoke and find it. Lord, help us in Jesus' name.